are continuing the adventure we've been doing the last few weeks on God's grace throughout Scripture. And we started with creation and thought about how God showed his grace even before the fall. So we're not talking about God who eventually decided to be gracious. We're talking about God who has always, always been gracious. But then we talked about last week, Jason took us to how we interact with God's law and his mercy because we can struggle with that sometimes. We, we read parts of the Old Testament and God sounds so demanding and severe and we think, I thought you said that God is gracious, but he doesn't sound gracious. And, and so we started to think about that and how God's good law, it points us to his holiness and his care. It, it gives us an idea of how we're supposed to function as people and yet how God comes through and offers us his mercy, even though we can't do it. Even though we inevitably fall short. And tonight, we're going to be moving into the second of two parts that we're going to look at as we come midway through this series. Two parts thinking about times of waiting. We come to waiting fairly often because most of us spend a lot of time in our lives waiting. We spend a lot of time waiting for prayer requests to be answered. We spend a lot of time waiting to see how God is going to direct us. We spend a lot of time waiting, wondering if all the pieces are going to come together. We spend a lot of time waiting. And tonight we're going to turn to the period of the kingdom of God in Israel and the time after that in, in exile. And that time after that where they're not in exile any longer, but there isn't a king back on the throne. Because in those times, they, they had to wonder. They had to wonder, what's God doing? In fact, they did oftentimes wonder, what is God doing? Does he remember us? Does he care about us? How is he working? We can, we can look at God's word here, and, and we see promise after promise after promise. But the question is, has God forgotten? And, and the reason we ask that question is because that's what we know. We know people forget. You, you, thankfully, you can't see on camera, but I'm going to make it so you can't see anyway. But I, I'm forgetful. I am really forgetful today. And, and so I remembered, I, thankfully, I don't have every public speaker's nightmare scenario happening to me. I do have pants, thankfully. I'm, I'm really glad for that. Yes, amen. Uh, see, demonstration of God's grace. But I'm missing... I'm missing my shoes. I, I did not intend to come in sandals. I don't know if I got up high enough, but here are sandals. I, I, I remember my socks, uh, and um, Chris always likes to check to see what socks I have on. I, I like to have fun socks, and so I, I, I had it all planned out. I had socks I hadn't worn in a, a, quite a while on, my, my Bugs Bunny socks here. But you didn't think you'd see my feet on, uh, during the middle of the sermon today. But uh, I had my Bugs Bunny socks on. I, I was set. I even had those out last night because I knew Chris was going to ask me, what socks do you have on at some point today? A and I wanted to be ready. Got all ready today. Came up here, trying to make sure everything's working after the upgrades that had happened over the weekend. And all of a sudden... I think it was my mom said something, asked me about my feet, and I looked down, and I thought, hmm, yep, yeah, I forgot something. So I forget things, and we all forget things. Maybe you've never done this, maybe you have, I, I, I don't know, but 
all of us forget things. And so then we look at God and, and his promises. We think, has God forgotten? Has God forgotten? Praise God he doesn't. And that's what we find in Zechariah chapter 12. If you would like to go ahead and turn there in your Bible or look on screen. It says, And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that, they, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. This is given in the context not of a triumphant kingdom. David's kingdom has come and gone. His dynasty has come and gone. You've had the, the civil war, it's broken apart, but now it's gone entirely. And in that context, Zechariah writes those words from the Lord. To say, God is faithful. As we're going to see tonight, God is not only faithful then, he's faithful now. And so whatever places you're thinking, has God forgotten his shoes? Did he intend to have dress shoes on and he's only wearing sandals? Because that's how I am. God is faithful. Let's go ahead and come before our faithful God and then we'll think more about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the God who is gracious, the God who is loving, the God who is faithful. Lord, whatever we might bring before you tonight, whatever burdens and struggles and uncertainties, Lord, would you help us to bring them before you with confidence, confidence that you are the God who makes all things right, that you are the God who does answer the prayers laid before him, that you are the God who hears our cries and heals our wounds. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. We can find a lot of discussion in the Old Testament of this period of time. This time where, where those who are faithful, those who remember the Lord at all, think, does he remember us? And that's the question that every person faces when you're in one of those times where you, you hear about God's grace and yet things aren't going the way that you hoped. What are you going to do in those times? Psalm 89, let's take a look there for a moment. The psalmist is writing in this period after the fall of the kingdom. Here's how he begins the psalm. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said... Steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Do you notice, do you notice what the psalmist is doing there? The psalmist is not doing there what we do for our favorite politicians today. Because what do we do for our favorite politicians today? Well, I don't mean to sound cynical, but I cannot think of a politician, one I voted for or one I have not voted for, who has kept all of his or her promises. I can't think of anybody, right? We all break promises, but it seems like, no offense to politicians, and I, I hope that someday 
praise God if a politician decides, hey, I, I want to walk through these doors and I believe in the gospel and I'm following the Lord. Um, we'll celebrate and we're, we're all broken. I'm not trying to overly pick on politicians. But our whole system pushes politicians to do what? To overpromise what they can do. And they promise everything is going to be fixed. Everything is going to be good. If only you elect me, the, the streets will all be paved. There won't be any potholes. Taxes will be lowered by 200%. Um, and you will never be annoyed by your neighbor again. I mean, that's the sort of thing that comes out, right? It's all going to be good. And then none of that happens. And then they say two years later or four years later or six years later, if you'll only elect me to a second term, we're going to do what we talked about. We're going to make it, and it's going to happen this time. We just repeat and we repeat and repeat. And what do we do when we like the politician in office? Or we like the person running for that office? We, people point out, well, they didn't do this, and they didn't do this, and we say, well, did they really mean it fully that way, or did they just mean they were going to work on it? Yes, they said there wouldn't be any potholes, but what they really meant was, in as much as they can prevent potholes, they will eliminate potholes. Yeah, they said they were going to reduce taxes by extreme amounts, but what they really meant is they were going to put a good word in when everyone else wanted to raise taxes. We never really do that for our guys, our gals, not the ones that we oppose, but for the ones we like. And the psalmist w would have felt the same human pressure because why do we do that for people that were running for elected office that we like? Well, we do it because we want to think they're still good, and yeah, they haven't done what they said they were going to do, Maybe they overpromised, but let's go ahead and soften it a little and make it okay. And the psalmist goes, "You know, yeah, God said there would be a king of in the line of David on the throne forever. It would always be good in that way. But what he really meant, what he really meant is, as long as Israel exists as a an entity on earth, as long as there's a country that you can point to on the map that is a political independent entity, then David's family will have a king on the throne, as long as that exists. But when that's gone, it didn't really mean to go on beyond that. And I can imagine as the psalmist was being inspired by the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is nudging the psalmist, write these words, these are the things to be said, that maybe somewhere in that psalmist's mind, he was thinking, this is the pious thing to say, yes, but I... There is a king on the throne of David. Why am I writing this? God, why don't you let me soften it a little bit? Just tune it down a little. But no, the psalmist, and maybe the psalmist fully is on board. Maybe the psalmist is so full of the Holy Spirit he doesn't have any doubts at all. But I, if not the psalmist, then those around him, surely some of them were thinking, how can you say this? It's not happening. I like what Vilam Van Gemeren says about this. He says, the Lord has established his faithfulness to David from far from the changes characteristic of this earthly scene. The future lies in God who himself has established his love and faithfulness in heaven itself. So the psalmist, as he writes this, is so focused on God and his promises and where God is on his throne in heaven that he can say this and he can sing this, even as it doesn't appear to be what's happening 
on the earth in this moment. In the moment, it doesn't look very good. In this moment, it looks really, really bad. And sometimes things look really, really bad. There was a forecast, someone shared it on Twitter the other day from a place in Texas. And here, like, just take a look at this weather forecast. 103 Denton, 104, 105 in Decatur, 106 in uh, Hillsboro, 100 in Terrell. Right now in Terrell and in Dallas, your, your heat index is 107. Everyone in McKinney is dead. The temperature, the, uh, the heat index right now in McKinney is 10,000. What is that? 101,105. Everyone in McKinney is dead. You look at that, <laughs> yes, yeah, if it's 101,000 degrees in McKinney, everyone is dead. Now, obviously, thankfully, and, and quite literally, praise God, that wasn't true, right? It wasn't 101,000 degrees in McKinney, but if it had been true, if it had been true, everyone would have been dead. And in the moment to the psalmist, as he's looking there, as he's looking at this situation, it looks like it's 101,000 degrees in Israel. Everyone, everyone is dead. And you wonder, is God faithful to his promises? Psalm 89 says yes. When everything's bad, what are we going to do? We just sang a little while ago, raise a hallelujah. In this storm, what are we going to do? We raise a hallelujah. We praise God for his faithfulness because what happens is that, yes, we're looking at the weather map. Our lives are looking at the weather map, and that heat index looks like it's ready to melt the very skin off of our bones and incinerate our bones at the same time. It won't even melt for us. It's just gone, right? I mean, is the sun even 101,000 degrees? I, I mean, we're talking hot. Not even the average St. Louis summer gets that hot. Everyone's dead, but not really. And that's what we find is that Scripture reorients us. It says, the weather map that you see when you look out in your life has a lot of killer heat indexes in it. And it looks like all is lost. But everyone in McKinney isn't dead. Everyone in St. Charles isn't dead. Everyone at Little Hills isn't dead because God is faithful. Everyone in Israel, all those who follow David are not dead because God is faithful. And once we start to see that, we see that those forecasts are terribly wrong. And instead of thinking that God has forgotten, that God is a God who doesn't remember his promises, God is a God who remembers his promises, and then God is a God who rescues us through his promises. Verse 9 of Zechariah 12. On that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. God says, once you understand that I am faithful, once you understand that when I say I'm going to do something, it's still coming, let me tell you what it is that's still coming. All those who oppose the people of God, I will oppose them. It doesn't feel like it right now, but it's coming. And we're going back and forth between Zechariah 12 and Psalm 89, two different people that God inspired reflecting on what to do in a situation like this. And as we do that, if we had time, we'd go through all the, the lead into Psalm 89. Maybe you'd like to do that this week. I'd encourage you to. Take a look at Psalm 89 all the way through. It's a long psalm, but it's a beautiful psalm. 
And when you look at that, when you look at where it goes from that very hopeful beginning about God's promises to David and how he's going to protect his kingdom and, and so on and so forth, you continue to see in Psalm 89 a refrain of God's faithfulness. In this time where it feels like God has forgotten his shoes, instead the psalmist doesn't say, God, have you forgotten your shoes? I don't think you ever really had shoes. I don't think you're really ho holding on to your promises. You were running for elective office. You wanted us to follow you out of Egypt. And then you forgot. What does the psalmist say? No, let me, re let me recite all the things that you have done. Because I need to hear them again. Those who read the psalm or sing the psalm need to hear them again because what we need when we're, we're struggling with has God forgotten and we need to get to that point of God rescues is to recite God's faithfulness. Sometimes that's reciting God's faithfulness in our lives. I've heard people say over and over again and it really is a great idea. Write down the things that you pray for. Even if you can remember them clearly in this moment because they're on your mind, even if the people you're praying for in this moment, you can remember what you're praying for them for because it's really on your heart and your mind in this moment, write them down anyway. Because what happens is you can go back a year or two later and you start to see how God's working. And, of course, we know, Scripture prepares us for, that God doesn't always answer things exactly how we wish he would. But what do we see when we can kind of move back because we're a year or two distant? We start to see, well, wait a second. God has been working in all these areas, and I don't fully understand how he's working in this area or that area yet. It still looks like people in McKinney are dead. But I can see enough of a pattern. I start to see like that weather map. If you think about that weather map, and you, if you were concerned that night, I don't think a lot of people went running and screaming the end of the world is here because while they saw that this astronomical figure was on McKinney, they saw also all around it normal temperatures. And it reminded them as they saw the overall pattern, something's probably wrong with this part of the forecast. And sometimes when we're, when we're looking at how God's working in one spot in our lives, we have that forecast just blazing hot. But when we start to see how he's been answering in other areas, we remember, okay, it feels like there's a problem here. But I can see all these other areas where God's working faithfully, and I can be reminded that God is going to work faithfully even where it doesn't make sense yet. And that helps us through uncertain times. So the psalmist recites these things before turning to the problem at hand. Psalm 89, verse 38. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. Now that sounds like what, more what I'd want to say. That's where I'd start. When, when I'm really struggling with something and I'm wondering why God isn't doing it, I don't start with, God, you've been faithful in my life here and here and here and here. Why are you so distant now? Why aren't you solving this now? What do I start with? God, why aren't you solving this now? Insert little required Yes, you're, you're good, God. I know I need to say something after that because I need to balance it out phrase. One of our, our family members here wrote me a, a number of weeks ago after our Tuesday night Bible study. Incidentally, if you're not in that, I encourage you to become a part of it. It's wonderful to watch God work as part of that. We pray every time. We pray every time. And, and I... I this is one of the places where I write down prayer requests, and I have this list of things we've prayed for for years now, 
going back to the beginning of the pandemic, I started jotting down these prayer requests that came in. Anyway, we, we pray for all kinds of things, but one of the things that I was reminded of was that we really should take some time to praise God. Because sometimes we do, but oftentimes there are a lot of heavy things weighing on people. And, and so uh, we need to make sure to take time to also praise Him. And, and a couple weeks ago we tried that. We started, we didn't cast aside the heavy things, but we started with, let's talk about some things we can praise God for. And then we talked about those heavy things. And, and that is a wonderful place to go. Not because the heavy things aren't there, not because they're somehow mitigated and they're not still heavy and disconcerting and, and just an utter burden as we're going through them, but because we need to keep in mind that God is working. Because then when we come with him, with whatever we're struggling with, we can come before him and we, we have the confidence that he has worked. And that's what the psalmist is doing here as he works through this. That's what's implied as Zechariah is giving this prophecy that, that God has worked and so we can trust what he's saying he's going to do. Psalm 89, verse 46, he goes on with this, this, this struggle, this anger that he was talking about. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Now here's an important thing. Sometimes we guilt ourselves. Sometimes we say, okay, I need to sound more grateful so I'm not going to ask God any of the hard questions. I'm not going to come and sound, complain about something that's going on in my life or someone else's life. I just need to focus on praise. And we guilt ourselves into that. And I, I'd say that's actually a, a bad thing to guilt ourselves into because what it's doing is saying, I'm not going to come to my Heavenly Father, the one who wants me to bring everything to Him and bring those things that are really burdening me. It is good to start with praise. It is good to go back and look at His faithfulness both in our lives and in Scripture. But it's also okay once we do that to come to the God who rescues us and say, God, I know you're the God who rescues us. I know you're the God who's faithful. But where are you right now? I'm feeling really shaky. Help me. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Yes, I'm going to praise you because I know you're good. I just can't understand it right now, God. It's okay to do that. And the psalm gives us permission to do that. Because once we do that, once we, we praise God and we see his faithfulness and we see that God is the one who is, through, is faithful to his promises and rescues us, then we can move on to what he's calling us to do because we're in the middle of that fulfillment. It's not done yet. He hasn't rescued us fully yet. And every single person in this room, every single person online has something that you're waiting for God on something that you're wondering about. And we're going to be wondering when we go out of here still at times. But God's going to send us to work in the meantime so we hold on to those promises. And once we do, then we can focus on Him. God turns in His promises our focus towards Him. That's what we see in Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleads for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Notice what happens here is they start to see God's rescue. 
temptation is to focus on ourselves. Oh, God favors me. I'm special. God's rescued me. But there's this, this discordant note here that we go from, from God is going to rescue, he's going to make his people triumphant again, things are going to be good again, to people are going to mourn and weep. Why? Because they're going to realize the cost at which they've been rescued. What's Zechariah talking about here? It's not what they were thinking at the time. It's not the political rescue they were hoping for in that moment. He's giving promise of the Messiah. You think about those words. I was wounded for them. Why are they going to mourn because they're the ones that put him to death? Why are we going to mourn because we're the ones that put him to death? But we mourn as those rescued. We come before him. That's why every week we take time to, to bring our sins before our God and ask for his help. Not because we mourn as those who have come before God who refuses to rescue us because we are sinful. Not because we come before a God who is unfaithful. We come before him as a God who is faithful. And yet we look at our own unfaithfulness. We start to realize the focus isn't on us. The focus isn't on our God and what he is doing for us, but rather we need to put our focus on what God is doing that he's taken on for us. Because we're so busy saying, God, fix this thing, and that's where our focus is. And that's not bad to notice. We should notice when God is working. But we see all the more importantly, and what would be easy to miss when God would fulfill that prophecy in Zechariah, is that Jesus took on our sins for us. The fulfillment more than restoring a kingdom. Someday God will fully restore Jerusalem. We're told about that in Revelation. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But that's not the focus. The focus is on the one who is the wounded Savior who triumphed over death. We miss the focus sometimes. And that's where we go as we go from, from understanding God's promises and understanding his rescue and we're sent out to do his work. If we can keep that as our focus, then we'll be more effective as Christians and as a church. Because when we're focused on God's going to do some stuff for me, God is going to solve this problem for me or, or for our church or for our city or for our nation, our focus is really still on us even though it's talking about God. And so bad things start to happen because if everything doesn't go how we're hoping in our lives, we say, well, where is God? But when we recognize that We've already done so much that God should never do anything for us, and yet he took on the sins of the world. He took on my sin. He took on your sin. And we realize, wow, God is working right now. I was reading this week a fascinating story. There, there are all these different, if you're not a, a computer geek like me, maybe you haven't even thought about that much, but everyone knows .com, right? You have so-and-so.com. You can go to littlehillschurch.com. It'll take you to our website. Not the primary address we use. We actually typically use littlehills.church. So there's all these dot endings. They're called top-level domains. And we're, we don't think about them a lot, but they're there. And we have this one now that's dot .church. How, how neat is that? There's actually one out there that's for churches. Isn't that neat? Anyway, so we're on that. Well, the military also has those. Uh, so, for example, you can go to 
Navy.mil, Army.mil, logical enough, mil for military, right? So they, they have that. There are also ones for different countries. And so there's, those are the country codes. Well, as it turns out, for at least a decade, the .ml extension has been receiving all kinds of email intended for .mil. And what do you know, the country that that country code is assigned to happens to be allied with Russia, doesn't happen to be a particularly friendly country towards the United States. And so the government, defense contractors, top brass in the military, as they're sending out emails, they're just typing really fast, they accidentally leave, how, we all do typos, right? Leave out the I and dot M-I-L, and they're emailing off all kinds of important stuff, sending it to a country that potentially is going to be able to pass it along to a country actively hostile towards the United States. Just one letter off. Not a big loss of focus, but just a little one, and, and yet potentially dis disastrous, right? It, it, it could send out something that would cause a loss of life in the military, could hurt one of our partners around the world. You think about that, lots of possible consequences. That one little thing that I missing. Well, in our lives, actually, the problem is we put in an eye where we shouldn't. And we start to ask about God's faithfulness, and it's all about putting that eye in there. We put our focus on that. And maybe we upgrade it to a we. And we say, God's faithfulness to we, we Little Hills, we St. Charles, we Missouri, we the United States. And we take our focus off of the suffering servant. We take ourself, our focus off of where the promise actually is meant to be focused. And what happens then is we go out and we don't proclaim the gospel faithfully. Because it's all on I and we and not on him. But the promise of the Messiah, the promise given to David, was never about making sure that there was a political entity in Palestine that everyone would be impressed with for all time. God doesn't need an earthly king, an earthly kingdom, to be God. It was about something much, much, much greater. And so you can go over there today, you can fly, you could go buy a ticket, I, I'm not sure how many hops you'd have to make to different airports from St. Louis these days to get to Israel, but you could fly over there today, you will not find one of King David's descendants on the throne. It still seems like in a way Zechariah's prophecy here is not fulfilled. It still seems like the promise that God gave to David is not being fulfilled, and yet what do we know? We know there's more to this story. We know that we turn to the New Testament, and there we find a descendant of David in Jesus. And we find in that descendant of David, not a king of a kingdom, not a king of just Israel, not a king of Judah, not a king for, that could someday come and be king of the United States, not that kind of king, but a king of the kingdom, God's kingdom, the only kingdom that really matters. And there we start to see how faithful God truly is, that he would take an earthly man, a shepherd boy they raised to king in David and give him the promise that his line would someday be that Messiah. And how faithful he is to us, because he didn't give that just for David's glory. It wasn't about an eye for David. It was about what God would do for us and how he would heal us. 
And then how we would proclaim that. He sends us out to have a focus on him. He sends us out to proclaim that to all the world. That's how we can know he's faithful. Even when it doesn't seem like it. I mentioned earlier that we have a little flower box out here. It's not much. It's just a little concrete thing in the parking lot. But uh, for years, it was nothing at all. It was just a bunch of dirt. Some weeds would sprout up. Season would go. They'd pass. But it was just dirt and some dead old plants. And I was thinking about that flower box a lot over this summer. We've been working on it, sprucing it up, and trying to make it so that it really made it more welcoming as people come to Little Hills. And thinking about that, and in all the years, it looked just deserted. And I imagined, yeah, there were weeds in there, although if they were in the right context, we'd call them wildflowers, right? Some of them are actually related to daisies. And so you have these plants in there amidst the the dead, broken brush of, of dead bushes and things that used to be cared for, and it feels like it's totally forgotten. What purpose is there to even being a plant in that flower box? You grow up, it gets really hot in the middle of summer, around with the asphalt around, and then you die. Maybe some of the people, as they wondered where the king of da- the king in David's line was, maybe us, as we're here now, we think we just grow up until the hot summer just burns us up and we die. We think, is God really faithful to his promises? Does he actually provide rescue? Is there really even any purpose to my life? And yeah, I think about those plants that would sprout up, and something that happened a couple of years ago looking at them is that they sprouted up. We started talking, well, maybe we should plant some more stuff in there. Maybe we should put some mulch down and, and spruce it up and make it look nice because something was persevering there in God's earthly providence that he allows plants to grow even in weird, horrible, harsh conditions. Something was sprouting up and showing life. And so we have, some of those weeds have persevered. They're out there. We also have some plants we've intentionally planted. It's starting to form. You're starting to see this flower box come into more focus. And as it is, you start to see a fulfillment of what it could have been, what it always could have been, and yet in that moment it didn't feel like. And if you were one of those weeds, you would have felt utterly hopeless because there's nothing happening. It's wilderness. It's hopelessness. It's exile. It's uncertainty. And yet in those moments when you feel like that weed, when you wonder what God's doing, know that God is still working on the flower box of our lives and he will bring it to fulfillment. And we won't see it all in this life. But if we keep our focus on him, if we keep our focus on the fact that God is the one both doing the promising and taking the cost of the promise, we see how he is in us, how he is with us, and how he will see it all through. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we, we come before you as those who can lose sight of how you are faithful. But Lord, you are faithful. As we turn to your word and we see the promises written from the very first page to the very last page, we are reminded of your faithfulness through all time. We really stop and and look at those things that we bring before you in prayer in those places that we hope that you will work. What do we find? We find that you are faithful. When we look at our own failures and 
our uncertainties in our own lives and we wonder, is there any use to me? Is there any, is there any value in me? What do we find? We find that you promise that those who come before you, you rescue. And you send. And Lord, would you use us? Would you send us? Would you surround us? Constantly reminding us of your promises that we might stand firm in the faithfulness of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.